Father in heaven, we're just so grateful for the living hope that you have provided for us through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name and to worship you and to sing praises you to you and to rejoice that you have proclaimed victory over death, hell, and the grave. Thank you for this time of gathering and worship together today, God. And we just pray that throughout our time this morning that we would be overcome with the joy and the beauty and the awe of what you have provided for us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning, Cross Community Church family. My name is Dave Eatman. For those of you who may be worshiping with us for the first time or newer here, I serve part-time as a, a pastoral assistant uh, with our staff here. My wife and I serve full-time with the Military Ministry of Crew uh, as Southeast Regional Directors. And I'm honored to be able to be with you today and lead us in worship. Uh, this is the second time I've been able to, to lead us in worship uh, through the Word. Uh, the last time I was staring into a camera. And so I'm really grateful to uh, at least be able to see your eyes uh, today if I can't see all of your faces. Taylor asked me if I would, uh, several months ago, if I'd be able to uh, bring the Word today. And as I began to prayerfully reflect on what we might talk about, my mind kept going to the reality that this is the last Sunday of 2020. And what in the world do you say? How in the world do you, uh, uh, what Sunday of 2020? Well, maybe the first thing that we could say is we made it, right? We've made it through this crazy year that 2020 has been. It's certainly been a challenging year for most in a variety of ways with masks and quarantines and social distancing becoming a regular part of our lives and kind of becoming a new normal school and parenting, taking on new challenges. Many of us having been sick with COVID ourselves or maybe even having loved ones that have been sick or even lost their lives from it. Many have lost jobs. We've experienced isolation from friends and family. We've seen continual political division in our nation and the brokenness of racial tension continues to plague us as a country. And yet in spite of all of these things, we have the assurance that our God is still on the throne and not one second of this year has escaped his notice. You know, time is an interesting thing. As we're going to see in our text today, God himself is timeless and yet he has given us constructs of time to mark days, weeks, months, seasons, and years. And while a new year in one sense is simply just the next day, on the calendar in another sense, marking a new year often gives us space and time to pause and gives us occasion for reflection. When I was growing up, we had a massive garden, what I would consider massive anyway. We lived on about an acre plot out in a rural area, and this garden took up one, a full quarter of that acre. And I mean, my house today, I don't even live on a quarter of an acre. So this was a big garden. And every year, my mom and dad would uh, they would take time to think about and plan and prepare for what they were going to do with that garden for the year ahead. And then spring would come, and they would plant everything that they were going to plant. They would spend time throughout the summer cultivating and weeding and tilling and fertilizing and watering. And then in the fall, they would harvest the crop. And after 
the fall and after the harvest, they would take time to intentionally sit down and reflect and think about the garden for that year. What worked well in the garden and what didn't? Uh, What things required more attention than they thought they were going to require? What areas gave them the greatest uh, harvest? What should they do for the next year to increase their harvest in certain areas? And throughout the winter, they would plan for what they would do next spring to prepare the soil and to prepare the garden for the next year. And just as in farming and agriculture, our life operates in cycles of time. And as each year draws to a close, it often gives us space to pause and reflect and reset for the year ahead. As we come together into our text today in Psalm 90, the main idea that we want to see together is that reflection, taking time to reflect upon our God and what He has availed to us in Christ should provide for us purposeful living and an eternal hope in the year ahead. In our text today, Psalm 90, we find a prayer of Moses. This psalm is thought to be among the oldest in the collection of psalms, and while we don't know the occasion uh, specifically for Moses' prayer, what we do see is him pausing to prayerfully contemplate the eternity of his God and where he and the nation of Israel find themselves in light of this eternal reality. And the basis of Moses' reflection as he begins is man's station in comparison to God's. And so, first of all, we want to see together, as Moses begins to pray, his reflection on the eternity of God. The first thing that Moses sees as he begins to pray is man's brevity in light of an eternal God. Man's brevity, or the shortness of man's life in light of an eternal God. Read with me in Psalm 90, verse 1. Moses prays, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses begins his prayer in reflection upon one of the most essential characteristics of who God is, his eternality. Have you ever tried to wrap your brain around eternity or the eternality of God or man? Uh, the fact that there was no beginning? Or how about the fact that we will live on for eternity and there will be no end? I can remember being younger and just sitting there in moments and just trying to wrap my brain around this concept, the fact that I will never cease to exist. And it would literally blow my mind. It would give me a brain cramp just sitting there trying to, trying to contemplate and think about that. And Moses' prayer begins in this reality. Notice As he begins to meditate on God, the first thing that he is struck by is our sense of security and belonging that exists in God. Notice Moses says, God, you have been our dwelling place. That literally could be translated our refuge. It's the sense and idea of, of home, of a place of safety, of security, of respite, of refreshing. Moses is saying, God, you are home. It's like when we've been away from our home for a while, or we've been on a trip or a journey, and we just... We're on our way home. We're headed home. We just long to get there where we can come into our home and we can let our hair down and maybe put on comfortable clothes and just be in a place where we can be us and not worried about the pressures and the challenges of the world around us. And and Moses is saying, God, that is who you are to us. You are our dwelling place. Maybe you've not had or don't have a healthy home environment. And, And for you, Moses 
Moses' reflection is invoking the reality that even if we haven't been afforded that in this life, that we have been afforded that in our Heavenly Father. Moses continues to say, you've been our dwelling place in all generations, not just for us, not for our, just for our parents or our parents before them, but for our distant relatives past and those that will be after us. God has provided the same sense of belonging and home in all generations for all people in all time that will turn to Him. And then Moses acknowledges just the eternal nature of God, that the fact that God was present even before creation, that God was present in creation, and from everlasting to everlasting. In a sense, Moses is saying from infinity past to infinity future, you are our God. So as Moses begins this prayerful reflection on life and God and who He is, he is first struck by the eternal security found in relationship with our Heavenly Father who holds all of time past, present, and future in a moment in his hand. Next, Moses' heart and mind turns to the brevity or the shortness of man. Verse 3, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight, or but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For Moses here, the natural reaction to meditating upon the eternality of God is to realize by contrast the brevity of man's life here on earth as we know it. Rather than being eternal, man is returned to dust. Throughout the Old Covenant, prior to Christ, Hebrew thought couldn't fully comprehend or conceptualize the eternal nature of man's soul. And often we'll see references to death as a final state or a separator between God and man. But once the fullness of God's revelation in Christ was revealed, we learned that we as mankind will in fact live on. And so what is in view for us here is the reality that our time on this earth is limited. It's finite. And there's coming a day when our human body, our current state, will be returned to the dust that we were formed of. As Moses is reflecting upon man's brevity or shortness in light of God's eternality, he sees here three comparisons of what our life is like in comparison to God's. First of all, he sees that man's life is fleeting. What we think is an inconceivable quantity of time, a millennium, a thousand years, is simply a watch in the night, a four-hour period. From the time that you woke up and prepared to come to church this morning to the time you get home for lunch. That span of time passes for God uh, as a thousand years. If we think back a thousand years of our own time history, back to the time of the Byzantine Empire, back to the time of Pope Benedict VIII or medieval Europe, back to 1020, a thousand years has passed as simply three to four hours in God's sight. So first, man sees, or Moses sees man's life as fleeting. Next, he sees it as forgotten. He says our, our lives, are, the time of our lives is swept away as with a flood that, that sweeps through an area and demolishes and erases everything in its path. Or like a dream where when we wake up in the morning, we might remember a few details, but by the end of the day, the details of the dream have simply vanished as a vapor into thin air. And Moses also sees man's life as frail and compares us to grass where we don't even have the power and the strength to last through an entire day 
day. So as Moses begins prayerful reflection upon life, he first focuses in on the reality of how short, how feeble our lives are in comparison to the eternal power of God. Next, Moses sees man's sin in light of a holy God. Man's sin in light of a holy God. Here we see Moses, Moses moving on from the attribute of God's eternality to the attribute of His holiness. Moses focuses in next on an aspect of God's character that, quite frankly, we don't like to think about or talk about that often and, and makes us uncomfortable to meditate upon, and that is God's wrath. Verse 7, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all of our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Wayne Grudem says of God's wrath, God's wrath means that He intensely hates all sin. Notice the concept of the wrath of God given here by Moses is given in the context of our sin. God is never revealed as some capricious deity who is angry and just looking for someone arbitrarily to smite. Instead, it is our sin that brings forth the wrath of God. Because God is perfectly holy and righteous and just, the natural reaction to sin can be nothing less than wrath if He is to maintain that holiness and that righteousness and that justice. In Romans 6, 23, we learn that the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. What we have earned for our sin is the wrath of God. Adam and Eve were warned in the garden to not disobey God or that they would surely die. And in fact, when they did sin, they were expelled from God's presence, and the cycle of death and deterioration upon our whole creation began. Throughout the Old Testament, we see on display our holy God's hatred for sin and how sin brings about His judgment on mankind, a judgment that would ultimately be taken upon Himself in Jesus Christ. As Moses continues his reflection, he recognizes that nothing is hidden from the view of an omniscient, all-knowing God who sees us fully and completely as we are, warts and all. He says our secret sins, the thing that we think no one knows about or ever will find out about, that God sees that. And not only does He see it, but it sits in the light of His presence. We may think our sin is in the dark, but here we see that God sees it and will bring it to His light. And because of our life under the curse of sin and under the curse of death, our best efforts to live a fulfilled life and achieve our own standard or goal of righteousness simply pass away with a sigh. It's like when we've worked really hard at something to get a job or, or obtain a promotion or win that trophy or get that person's approval or lose that weight and yet fail to achieve it and all we can muster at the end of our efforts is a defeated sigh. That we might be able to eke out by our own strength 70 to 80 years of life, all of our efforts ultimately end in vanity and toil and trouble and come to an end and we fly away. So in light of God's eternal nature, in light of this short life that we have on this earth that's filled with toil and trouble and pain, 
in light of the holiness of God, in light of the sin nature we have all inherited, Moses' prayer of reflection reaches a crescendo in verse 11 as he prays, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? It's almost as if Moses' statement in verse 11 just lingers in the air as Moses calls us to consider God's eternality, God's holiness, our brevity, and our sin. While we may not like to think about or talk about God's wrath, Moses is calling us here to do just that, to lean into and be intentional in reflection upon how God views sin, to reflect upon a day when our short lives will end before God in giving account of our days on this earth. But the wrath of God is not just an Old Testament construct. We see the concept of God's wrath carried forward into the New Testament as well. Romans 1, beginning in verse 18, Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and His divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so there without excuse. Paul is saying, just as Moses perceived God's eternality and divine nature, so do we. Moses was looking forward, though, to a day when God would send a deliverer. Deuteronomy 18, beginning in verse 15, Moses would write, speaking of Jesus, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. We just celebrated the day that Moses spoke of this past Friday as we joined an annual commemoration of the Word, Jesus, being made flesh and dwelling among us. And the the great beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ is that the wrath of a holy God against sin has been fully satisfied and dealt with in the sinless life, the vicarious death, and the bodily resurrection of God in the flesh, Jesus This is the proclamation the angel made to Mary's fiancé, Joseph, in Matthew 1, beginning in verse 20. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus himself speaks to the deliverance from God's wrath found in him as he is quoted by John in John 3, 36. As he says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It is upon this most glorious of truths that Stuart Townend would pen the words of the modern hymn, In Christ Alone. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, This gift of love, this righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here 
in the death of Christ, I live. If we find ourselves standing before God outside of Christ, His wrath is something to be feared because of our sin and rejection of His atonement through Jesus on our behalf. But for the follower of Christ, for those of us who find ourselves in Christ, the perfect love we have received through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ has cast out all fear. Regarding God's wrath, Wayne Grudem writes, We should feel no fear of God's wrath as Christians, for although we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, according from Ephesians 2, we have now trusted in Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. When we meditate on the wrath of God, as Moses is calling us to do here, we will be amazed to think that our Lord Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God that was due to our sin in order that we might be saved. A prominent theme throughout the Old Covenant is one of expectation. A prominent theme throughout the New Covenant is one of fulfillment. For Moses, reflection upon an eternal, holy God inspired hope for the future, rooted in an intimate relationship that would ultimately be realized in Jesus Christ. So with this hope in mind, let's quickly look at the fruit of Moses' reflection and see four realities we can now experience through life in Christ as we prepare for an eternal future. First, in Christ, passive living is replaced with eternal purpose. Passive living is replaced with eternal purpose. Moses' prayer now moves from reflection to petition as he prays beginning in verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. In verses 3 through 6, Moses' reflection centers on how we can be caught off guard with the shortness and the brevity and the vanity of life. Without direction or purpose or a concept that will live beyond the grave, man's life is void of meaning and wasted at best. In Christ, however, knowledge of the short amount of time that we have compels us to attend to what matters. In Christ, we recognize that God has given our lives value and purpose, and this knowledge should orient our priorities and make us a missional people. In John 9, 4, Jesus says, we must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. Our time to fulfill God's mission and purpose for our lives has been set and is not infinite. And as such, let us fill our days with purposeful, missional living for Christ. But while for followers of Christ, we may be caught off guard by life's brevity and shortness and fail to realize God's eternal purpose, it is also possible to suppress the truth and fail to realize God's eternal presence. Hebrews 4, the author writes, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all His works. And again in this passage, He said, They shall not enter My rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter 
because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today. Saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you are in Christ, Moses is calling you to number your days and exercise wisdom in serving him with your life. If you're not yet in Christ, Moses is calling you to number your days and exercise wisdom in receiving him as Lord. Next, in Christ, fear of judgment is replaced with complete acceptance. Fear of judgment is replaced with complete acceptance. Moses continues his petition in verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. In verses 7 and 8, as Moses is reflecting, he paints a picture of a fear of God's wrath and judgment as we are left fully exposed before him. And yet here we see in Christ, we long for the return of our Lord Jesus for his church. In Christ, we rejoice that we are fully known by God as sinful, broken people, and yet we are fully loved because of the righteousness of Christ upon us. It is with this assurance of complete acceptance that Paul can write to the church at Philippi, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. It is with this assurance and complete acceptance that the Apostle John would conclude his revelation of last things, writing in Revelation 22:20, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And John's response to that promise of Christ is, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. When we experience a year such as 2020 with all of its challenges, when we experience the brokenness of our fallen world and our lives and the lives of those we love, when we experience the daily battle and struggle that we all have with sin, we can join Moses and Paul and John in longing for the day when we are welcomed into Christ's presence, fully known and yet fully loved and accepted by Him. Third, in Christ, daily defeat is replaced with abiding joy. Daily defeat is replaced with abiding joy. Moses prays in verse 14, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. In verse 9, Moses' reflection sees our days ending in vanity under God's judgment and end in defeat of a sigh. And yet in Christ, His mercies are renewed each morning. Our days are filled with joy, and our afflictions are redeemed. Lamentations 3.22 says, The steadfast love of our Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah's truth here speaks to the importance of daily time with the Lord to be renewed by His love and mercy for the toils and the troubles that we will face each day. And just as the grass that withers throughout the day is refreshed by the cool of the evening and the new morning dew, starting off our day meditating on the refreshing truth of God's love is sure, and His mercies are abundant and renewed each day, will give us strength to flourish, rejoicing in the security of His love and our identity in Christ. 
Moses also prays here with expectancy of redemption of the challenges of this life. God's grand plan is redemptive in nature. We've already seen how we have been redeemed from sin and death in Christ. However, this redemptive truth extends beyond our eternal future to our present life as well. In our present life, because of Christ, we are redeemed from our brokenness. Romans 8.28, Paul would write, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He called, and those whom He called, He also justified, and those whom He justified, He also glorified. In Christ, we are redeemed from our affliction. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves received or comforted by God. And in Christ, we are redeemed from our tears. John writes in Revelation 21, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. When we live our lives daily in light of the redemptive truth of Christ, we no longer live in defeat, but with the abiding joy that comes from a redeemed past, a redeemed present, and a redeemed future. Finally, in Christ, the burden of labor is replaced with the blessing of legacy. The burden of labor is replaced with the blessing of legacy. Moses concludes in verse 16, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In verse 10, and Moses' reflection sees our labors expiring with us and filled with toil and trouble. And yet in Christ, our labors leave a legacy and our work impacts eternity. In Christ, we are given ears to hear God's truth. In Christ, we are given eyes to see God at work in our lives and in the lives of others. And in Christ, we are given the mind of Christ and the ability to see God at work through us and through His creation. Moses concludes his prayer with a request to live a life that matters for eternity, that leaves a legacy to those who follow after us, and that pays eternal dividends. The surest way to realize this in our own lives is is to discern the calling God has given us and the work that he has prepared for us to do in his name. Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you're in Christ, God has saved you freely by His grace and has a specific calling and purpose and work for you to do. And may Moses' prayer be your prayer as you seek to have your toil and labor not be in vain, but to receive God's favor and be established for eternity. We don't know the occasion that caused Moses to pause in prayerful reflection. But we do know that his prayerful reflection upon life and upon God and his eternality and man's frailty moved him from a posture of despair and anguish to a posture of rejoicing and hope. 
And so as we close out 2020 with all of its challenges, what's the posture of your heart today? Four points of application I hope you'll take with you into 2021. First, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Child of God, follower of Christ, what is God calling you to today? What is your next step of obedience in your walk with Christ? But maybe you're sitting here today and you cannot rightfully claim Christ's name because you've never taken hold of the free gift of salvation that He has offered to you in Christ. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Second, rejoice that the wrath of God has been fully satisfied in Christ. Rejoice that the wrath of God has been fully satisfied in Christ. If we are outside of Christ, the day that we face God in eternity is a day to be feared. But if we are in Christ, we can trust in the fact and rejoice in the fact that on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Third, allow the assurance of His steadfast love to bathe your soul each day in abiding joy and peace. Allow the assurance of His steadfast love to bathe your soul each day in abiding joy and peace. As we travel through this life, as we face all the challenges and the difficulties and the toils and the troubles and trials of each day, we can wake up each morning with the assurance of God's mercies being renewed for that day and His steadfast love that endures forever. And finally, purpose to co-labor with God in work that will matter for eternity. Purpose to co-labor with God in work that will matter for eternity. As we close today, we've looked at Moses' prayer of reflection and petition in Psalm 90, and so I think it would be right, appropriate for us to allow Moses' prayer to be our prayer. And so as we bow our heads today to close in prayer, would you just pray with me? Join me in praying Moses' prayer in Psalm 90 back to God as our prayer for the year ahead. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you were God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 
For even by reason of strength they eat, their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, Lord, establish the work of our hands.